Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me again today to the book of Revelation. We'll be in Revelation chapter 19 this morning as we continue our time in this portion of God's Word. We've been uh, journeying through this final book of the Bible, and we are nearing uh, the end of this story. And so we return to hear from the Lord. We've uh, been journeying the last few weeks and, and will until we come to the end of uh, the Bible. These last chapters of Revelation under the series title, A Tale of Two Cities. Uh, for John contrasts uh, two cities in these final chapters, the city of God uh, and the city of, of man. As you find your place there in Scripture, let me uh, voice a word of thanks to Jacob Joyner uh, for leading us in uh, worship through music this morning. And Jacob is no stranger to most of you. He's a uh, music ministry intern here at Meadowbrook and a, uh, a college student at Samford University studying church music and is faithful to lead in a variety of capacities. And leading on our behalf today is, uh, as David is away continuing his studies in worship leadership. And so, Jacob, thank you for serving so faithfully week after week and certainly serving so ably and uh, faithfully today. Well, as you find your place in, in Revelation chapter 19, uh, let me invite you uh, to join me just for a few moments standing for the reading of God's holy word. Revelation chapter 19, uh, I'll read verses 1 through 10, and then in just a few minutes, Lord willing, we'll uh, look at verses 11 through 21. But let's hear the word of God. Uh, John, the human author of this text, writes, he says, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen. Bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Verse 9, then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that uh, you are great and mighty. You're majestic and magnificent. That you are a perfect and eternal heavenly father uh, who cares for us. Who invites us to be your children, to know and to follow after you. Lord, you're a God who speaks to us through your faithful and true word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do so now through the preaching of your word. Confess that we need you and that we want you. So lead us by the presence and power of your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The church, you may be seated. Well, not very long ago, uh, I was talking with a friend 
uh, about heaven. Uh, and this friend asked me, he, he, he said, are, are we just going to sit around and play harps and sing all the time? Because that really doesn't sound very fun to me. Sort of didn't know how to respond and initially said, well, you know, it sounds a whole lot better than the alternative. And, and then I began to, to tell him uh, that I think the point of the Bible's portraits of heaven uh, are to show that the greatest thing about heaven is that we will be with God. That we will be with God, unhindered access to the one who made us and the one who holds the universe in his own hands. In other words, you and I uh, are not the central characters of heaven. Certainly, we'll be given a privileged position and status and and great work to do. We will enjoy God's presence and enjoy His provision and worship Him and find delight and satisfaction in Him. But ultimately, heaven is about Him and His glory. In fact, any uh, modern day account of a trip to heaven, in fact, there are many of them that have been popularized over the last number of years, and some of them may very well be uh, true and others may not be. But any modern day account that does not clearly shine the spotlight on God and his goodness and his glory, I think is bogus. And you might say, "How how do you know that? Because the portraits John provides, the portraits scripture provides are not so much about mansions and and glory and and gold as they are about the glory and the goodness and the grace of a God who has made a way for sinners to enjoy His presence forever. To thrive in relationship with Him. You see, to not make heaven about Jesus would be like going to a ball game and making it all about the nachos. The nachos may be good. You may enjoy them, but if you make it all about the nachos, if that's all you can talk about, then you've missed the big event. Friends, the big event is God, holy and eternal and wise and almighty with his people forever and ever and ever. If we know him, then we know that he is good and that he is what we need. We want to be with him. Those who know Jesus want Jesus to return because we know that when he does, he will make all things right. Eliminating evil and restoring righteousness. Friends, such will be the case in Christ's eternal kingdom. And it will be reason for believers to rejoice. Christ's return will spark thunderous praise from all who serve him. The Bible is clear on this right here and elsewhere. That Christ's return will spark thunderous praise from all who serve him. Once again, Revelation provides us a picture of heaven that's filled with resounding praise. You see, John's vision is is moving toward the end. It's going somewhere. It's intertwining visions of judgment with shouts of adoration. Verse 1, the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting. Again in verse 6, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting. You see, the vision here doesn't simply overwhelm the eyes with splendor, but it also fills the ears with cries of celebration. With rejoicing and exaltation. Have you ever been in a packed football stadium uh, where the home team suddenly made some, that that makes sense, suddenly, suddenly made uh, a huge uh, and and game-changing play? Say something like uh, uh, a quarterback sack on third and short in a tight game. Maybe a a pick six uh, in the fourth quarter. 
quarter to take the lead. And the crowd erupts with a roar that can almost be felt in the air. I know you've been there because you're from Alabama. You can feel the noise. That's the kind of roar that John is describing here. Thousands upon thousands of thousands of angels accompanied by the innumerable multitude of believers from every nation, tribe, people, and language surrounding Jesus to worship Him. We've already encountered, we've been introduced to these 24 elders who I think likely represent all believers, 12 being a significant number in God's Word, certainly in Revelation for the people of God, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles that lay the foundation of the church, and then these four living creatures who may be exalted angels like the cherubim or seraphim. But the primary point is this. The primary point is that this kind of exuberant and pulsating praise is only appropriate for the living God, and that it will be offered by both angelic and human servants of God, by those who know and delight in Jesus alone. Friend, John sees a people who are fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. Are you satisfied in Jesus? Are you satisfied in in Jesus? Do you delight in knowing Him? You see, you will never be truly satisfied apart from Him. Christ's return will spark thunderous praise from all who serve Him. Praise for who He is. Praise for who He is. Of course, we're familiar with the word hallelujah. We sing it as we gather. We know it from the Psalms, the Hebrew expression that means praise the Lord. You know, hallelujah is only found four times in the New Testament, and all four of them are right here in Revelation chapter 19. Verse 1, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 2, for true and just are His judgments. Verse 3, and again they shouted, Hallelujah. Verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Verse 6, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. You see, the Bible's snapshots of heaven are a reminder that God is in a category All by himself. He is set apart and set above. He is incomparable. That's what it means that he's holy. He is distinct. His strength and his character are unchanging. His power is beyond comparison. His faithfulness is without question. His sovereignty is over all. Those who know and serve him cannot help but praise him when they truly encounter him. You see, when Jesus returns, this is what we'll do, church. We, we will enjoy worship more than we have ever enjoyed worship before. We'll offer praise for who He is. And we'll celebrate what He has done. Celebration over what God has done. John is witnessing the worship that he anticipated back in the beginning of this book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. John begins this book. He, he writes these words. He says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To the God who, who loves us and freed us from our sins and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve as God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. John is reflecting on the first coming of Jesus. 
and the mission of God accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he cannot help but want to praise God. And now listen to what Christ has done in chapter 19 from the perspective of those uh, who witness his return. Revelation chapter 19, verse 2. John writes, he says, uh, or or, or, uh, this, this multitude says, he has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. And so in Revelation chapter 19, verse 2, the multitude of God's servants celebrate Christ's victory over the corrupt world. Represented here by the great prostitute and Christ vindicate, they celebrate Christ vindicating the blood of Christian martyrs who have given their lives at the hands of wicked rulers. And then in verse seven, the multitude continues celebrating and they celebrate the pure provision of eternal righteousness that Jesus has given to his bride. In other words, backing up and taking in the the portrait that John is providing, this tale of of two cities. I think the word of God is saying, though though Babylon and though Rome, though Pyongyang and Beijing and Moscow and Kabul and New York and, and Hollywood opposed Christ's people, he has vindicated them. He will vindicate them. He delivered them from death and defeated evil. He has saved and he has judged. No more corruption, no more injustice, no more murder, no more martyrdom. Now, church, it's time to celebrate salvation. To celebrate salvation. And to do that, marriage is John's metaphor of choice. For he knows that God has given marriage to provide union and intimacy, selflessness, and celebration. And John declares that the bridegroom, Jesus, is ready to celebrate the bride, that is, the church. He's ready to celebrate her purity and to be with her forever and ever. No need this time to promise in sickness and in health till death do us part, for there will be no sickness and there will be no death. There will be only health and there will be no part. The people of Christ forever and ever and ever with Jesus Christ. See, I don't think John is recording anything new here. He's saying what we have come to expect from a God who is always faithful to his promises. And to say the bride has made herself ready is to say that the church has persevered. The church has overcome Believers have heeded Christ's call to overcome, a central call in the book of Revelation. Heeded Christ's call to overcome, to remain faithful in the midst of pressure, to recant or to compromise. You see, John's words here are in, are in line with Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and following. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, So that no one can boast. He goes on and says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God saves us by his grace. We know this undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor and mercy of the most high God. He gives us the fine linen, bright and clean to wear. But those who wear it are those who wore it here on earth. 
Those who demonstrated their devotion to Jesus by their words and their deeds. Those who did good deeds out of the overflow of hearts that have been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who responded to the gospel. Friend, have you responded to the gospel? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus? Have you repented and turned away from sin and selfishness and embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior and taken the gift of salvation that He has offered you, the blood of Jesus? Have have you received the gift of life? Have you been washed by the blood of the Lamb, clothed in the purity of Jesus' righteousness? Are you forgiven? Are you clean? Forgiven because you have received God's offer of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. You see, long before John writes of the wedding supper of the Lamb, the prophet Isaiah agrees with this metaphor. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, Isaiah writes, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Church, because Christ's return will spark thunderous praise, we have every reason to praise him now. To praise the Almighty One who is true and just in His judgments, who does reign and deserve glory, who has given His people fine linen, bright and clean, and who has washed our sin and guilt away and clothed us in His righteousness. Brothers and sisters, praise God today. Praise God today. Praise the Most High God today. John's portrait of heaven's worship is meant to motivate us to worship God here and now in the present. You see, God is as worthy of our worship and praise today as He will be when Jesus returns. So let's praise Him today. Let's give Him the glory that He is due today. I know many of you have noticed, maybe all of you have noticed, I don't see how you could miss it, the big blue uh, banners down by uh, the road and uh, the various signs about the compassion journey experience and the table out and the foyer outside the sanctuary highlighting uh, Compassion International's ministry today. And you'll hear a little bit more about that at the end of uh, our service. But uh, one thing that I love about Compassion International, and we've partnered with them before as a church, is that they are not only uh, meeting physical needs of impoverished children around the world, but they are doing so in Jesus' name. The kids that are part of their programs are hearing the gospel Again and again and again, they're part of a, a ministry center that is tied to a local church where the gospel is, is shared and, and preached and practiced day after day after day. In fact, I was even thinking this week, as my, my own kids were still singing songs from Vacation Bible School and sharing that uh, memory verse about uh, why Jesus came and why these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And it was hearing my kids say that, thinking how grateful I am. I was brought to to a sense of of great thanksgiving that God has allowed my children to hear this good news of salvation in Jesus. As I thought about this partnership with Compassion, I was also thinking about Julity, our sponsored child in Ecuador, and how I can be confident that she too is hearing the gospel of salvation. And that one day, 
Perhaps we'll gather around the throne of, of Jesus Christ and worship together with people from every nation, tribe, people, and language who, who know and follow after Jesus Christ. So church, let's make that the mission of our lives. Let's make it the supreme mission of our lives to lift high the one and only God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, I want us to pause and do that right now. Let's, let's put our, our mouths and our feet to action. What we're saying is significant. Let's, let's praise you. Stand up right where you are. This is out of my comfort zone, but we're going to do it this morning because this matters. I'm not done, so don't put your stuff away. <laughs> Baseball fans, you can think of this as sort of the seventh inning stretch. Let's praise God. And, and I'm counting on you because I'm not, I'm not a music leader. But we're going to sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You, you know this. And, I, and I'm counting on you to sing like uh, these uh, folks that John is, is picturing and, and seeing are singing around the throne of heaven. I'm, I'm counting on you to sing with thunderous praise to drown out my own voice, okay? But even so, the mic's going off. Maybe seated. You did well, very well. Notice, back to the text. Notice what John does here in verse 10 of chapter 19. Notice how John records his own failure, his own flaw. He tells us, he says, I fell at the angel's feet to worship him. John is so amazed by the messenger that he falls at the feet of the angel instead of reserving such praise for the Almighty alone. This, by the way, is an indication of the Bible's integrity. A human author of this portion of God's Word, we, we see this elsewhere. The, the blunders of the authors are not ignored. They are written and recorded for all to see. If John was making this up, why would he include such a a clear record of his own error? You see, John's honesty shows us just how easy we too can fall into idolatry. How we too can take our eyes off the glory of Jesus and worship other lesser things. The angel responds to John in verse 10, don't do that. Stop. Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. You see, this angelic servant of God echoes the call of Scripture to praise God alone. To praise God alone, that God alone is worthy of worship and praise. To reserve adoration and exaltation for the true and living God, the one who is Father, Son, and Spirit, the one who has made himself known to us in Jesus. 
You see, the angel says, worship Jesus. Friend, who do you worship? What do you worship? Who or what holds center stage in in your life? Who or what do you cling to tightly? The Bible says, worship God. Worship God alone. See, Christ's return will spark thunderous praise from all who serve Him. But we know not all serve Him. Many reject Him. And the Bible is equally clear that Christ's return will mean condemnation for all who reject Him. Condemnation for all who reject him. Let's look back at the text. Picking up in verse 11. John records this. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on, on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John says, and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and the riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. He says the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. You see, according to the Bible, there are only two camps. According to God's word, you are either a servant of God and a member of the bride of Christ or you are an earth dweller condemned by the words coming from the mouth of the faithful, just and mighty and true king of all kings. You are either a citizen of Babylon or you are a citizen of the new Jerusalem. Friends, two camps on a collision course marching toward battle, but there will be, I don't think, any real battle here. Notice here in verse Uh, 19, the beasts and the kings and the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. Wait for it. But the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet. I don't think John is describing a, a world war as we might think of a world war for God will speak and the conflict will be over and judgment will be pronounced. I think this is what Martin Luther meant in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress in Our God, when he said, One little word shall fail him. Christ's return will spark thunderous praise from all who serve Him, both great and small, verse 5. And Christ's very same return will mean condemnation for all who reject Him, both great and small, verse 18. Which camp are you in? Which camp are you in? See, because of our sin, we, we have all started in the camp of condemnation, the camp of rejection. But God's desire is that we move into the other camp. 
God so loved the world. He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. John's message is clear. His message in Revelation 19 reminds us of Jesus' own words about His kingdom, told in a parable recorded in Matthew chapter 22. There Jesus says, and listen to what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then the king sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. The story goes on and Jesus says, But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his field, another to his business. Verse 8, it says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go out to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. And so the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Friends, the Bible declares that the wedding hall of heaven will be filled with guests, both great and small, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Will you be there? Will you be part of the celebration? Will you be gathered with God's people? Will you worship and enjoy the one who made you and sustains you and redeems you forever and ever and ever? Not all will be there. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in that same passage, he says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Friend, you have been invited. You have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ You have no excuse. I have no excuse. We have no excuse for not taking Jesus up on his gracious invitation. Friend, respond to Christ's invitation. Respond to his invitation. Respond to the invitation of the bridegroom. Respond to the invitation of of Jesus. In the words of one author reflecting on this passage, author writes, you have your choice. Either you can go to the Lamb's Supper as guests Friends of the bride, better members of the bride. Or you can go to this other supper as part of the menu. Food for the vultures. Church, graphic and vivid images to portray the awesomeness of heaven, yet the awfulness of hell. Make your reservation today. Respond to Christ's gracious invitation today. Respond to the invitation to join Christ in celebration. To join Him at His wedding feast. For otherwise you remain condemned in sin. But Paul recounts the good news in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus are those who have turned to Jesus in faith. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you one of his people? Have you repented and trusted in Jesus to save you? Are you a follower of Christ? Does he claim you as his own? Has his blood covered you? Does he call you his child? You see, Jesus is both just and gracious. 
He is the Lamb and He is the Rider. He is the Lamb looking as if He had been slain and He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Will Jesus be your gracious Savior or will He be your just judge? Will Jesus be your Savior or your judge? Friend, you've heard the Gospel. You have been invited to make a reservation. How will you respond? Father, help us. We need you. Help us to respond with faith in Jesus. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us a humility to bow before you. Lord, to even say, I believe, help help me overcome my unbelief. Father, may we be a people who bow at the feet of Jesus, who long for the day that we will be united with our Savior and our Lord and our Groom and we celebrate Him forever and ever and enjoy His presence and provision of right relationship with Him forevermore. And Lord, until that day, may we be a people who exalt the name of Jesus right here on this hill and across this city and all over the world as people whose lives have been changed by the grace of the Most High God. Lord, you are worthy. Lead us to follow after you. May your spirit work in our hearts and our minds and our our lives in a way that glorifies you. Lord, guide us now as we respond, as we wrestle with these truths, as we wrestle with who Jesus is. Lord, lead us to respond, every one of us, in a way that honors the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.